Number 23 in our hymnal, we're going to stand to sing together. seated. Let's unite at the throne of grace in prayer this evening. Father, we thank Thee for this, the Lord's day that Thou hast given us, a day dedicated to walking with the Lord and worshiping Thee. We thank Thee for the grace that You've granted us to come to Thy house today, to enjoy fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and to raise a testimony to the wonderful name of our Savior and our Redeemer. We thank Thee that Thou hast given us these means whereby we may grow in faith and abound in grace. And I pray that You will be gracious to meet with us and to bless our souls this evening. Lord, we pray against our own backslidings. We pray against our own failures. And who has ever loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And we confess that even in these spiritual things and times, that those other thoughts of other things creep into our minds. And so we pray that Thou wilt give us that focus and that heavenly mind, that we may think on these things, and that we would bring honor unto Thee. Lord, we thank Thee for the cleansing power of Jesus' precious blood. We rejoice that each one who is redeemed is washed in that blood continually, and that our sins are covered, and they are remembered no more. We ask this evening that You will give us the personal inner ministry of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier of our hearts. We invite Thee, O Spirit of God, to dwell within. We invite Thee to search our hearts, to see if there be any wicked way in us. 
we invite Thee to minister to us, to open our minds and hearts to all truth, and above all, to know the true and living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for families. Bless those who are enduring different trials. Bless every household. Draw near to your people. We pray that you will bless the work and ministry of this church. We pray thee to guide the election of deacons on Wednesday evening, and that you will strengthen the leadership of this church, that there may be a band of men who will stand together, labor together, and unite their talents and their gifts that they may glorify Thee in this house of worship. We pray that You will bless those that are ministering Your Word. We pray for the power of God and the blessing of God. And help us tonight. We need Thee, Lord. Come and help us this hour. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our next hymn is number 19, I Sing the Mighty Power of God That Made the Mountains Rise, That Spread the Flowing Seas Abroad And Built the Lofty Skies. Number 19. Let stand to sing. Mr. Robinson, are you bringing the announcements tonight? Very good. Thank you, brother.
Well, welcome to everybody, especially a very warm welcome. Apologies that we haven't got the air conditioning system up and running yet. It's only in half power, so for next Sunday we'll have it fully operational. We might not need it next Sunday. We may be returning back to normal weather. And, uh, but welcome to those that are online as well in the comfort of your home and pray the Lord will truly again bless us as we were blessed this morning with being assured of our justification in Christ. Um, there are a few important meetings this week. For some of us, we have another event on Tuesday, uh, <clears throat> which is the annual meeting in Port Hope. But we also have an annual meeting service here Wednesday uh, evening, and we'll be presenting the financial report for last year, and also uh, <clears throat> our usual PowerPoint presentation, graphics that some people look forward to seeing, and so you're not, you don't have to be worried about uh, trying to understand the numbers in the financial statement if you don't wish. So that'll all happen Wednesday, plus also the election for deacons for the next three years that will take place. So if there's still some um, absentee ballots to be collected, just give James or myself a call and we make sure that we can um, pick up those or distribute them uh, as needed, although it's a little late in the day to distribute so we can collect them and just give us a call if there's any difficulty with that. And then immediately following, there's no break for the new deacons or the, the deacons that are, will be elected. So you're put to work the next day. Uh, on Thursday, we have the session meeting at 6 p.m. and then the uh, session of board at 7.30 p.m. So uh, take note of that for those that, uh, that uh, will be new to that. That's, those are the times on Thursday. And also next Sunday, our services as usual, 10 o'clock. I emphasize that because I think one or two people uh, have, that have visited us recently have, um, have got the times a little mixed up. So we're, Sunday school is at 10 to 10, or morning service at 11, and then the evening service at, at, at uh, 6.30. Hopefully I've got my times right because I'm just still a little bit jet-lagged coming from Ireland. So uh, if, forgive me if I've messed up on the time there, but you can let me know afterwards. Also, remember uh, that next Sunday, uh, that's May the 22nd, uh, from 4 to 5.30 will be our uh, congregational national time of prayer, and it'll be on Zoom. So this, again, the routine is that uh, we won't be meeting here, uh, but we will finish at 5.30 on Zoom, so it'll give us time to then come together to worship here in the evening time. And I, uh, you heard about the report of Mr. Kelly. He's doing better, but he still needs a feeding tube for now, for the present. So he, is, he was discharged from hospital yesterday. For those of you that have been praying for him, continue to remember him before the throne of grace. And then also the youth camp is coming up on July uh, 16th to the 23rd. So if any young people are interested in that, please see Jonathan McAnally if you're interested in that. And I think those are all the necessary announcements. Our own pastor will be back again next Sunday. And we, again, welcome uh, Reverend Gallagher to our pulpit. He's no stranger to us. But I know there are a few people who are visiting with us tonight from uh, the neighborhood, first time, and also a few from the United States. So uh, our preacher tonight is, uh, has been here on, on and off on various occasions. 
uh, but he's not our regular pastor, so we'll just let you know for your information, but we're happy to have him tonight. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. and Ms. McClellan for their kind hospitality to us today. With COVID diminishing, we're allowed to meet again and fellowship again in homes, and it was a joy for Beulah and for me to be with them this afternoon. We were reminiscing, how do we retire? And that's an open question these days. How do you retire? There is no retirement from God. There's no retirement from the gospel. Uh, there is retirement from the pastoral ministry and all those responsibilities, but uh, we never cease to seek ways to promote God's kingdom and to honor and serve Him. And we trust the Lord will continue to use us in these times and in these days. We're going to sing one more time, just two verses of the hymn number 26. Who is a pardoning God like Thee? Great God of wonders, all Thy ways are matchless, godlike, and divine. But the bright glories of Thy grace, above them other wonders shine. 26, and we're going to stand for verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2 only. for singing, for prayer.
Father, we ask that you'll draw near and help us in your word tonight. This is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. Grant, Lord, that by your Spirit you will shine light upon us and lead us into all truth. We pray for the help of heaven, the touch of God to every heart. Bless every brother, sister, every visitor and friend here tonight. May your blessing be upon us, we ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I have a very short Bible reading this evening. It's in John 17, commencing verse 1 through 3. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This past week has been a week of Bible preaching and prayer for the elders and ministers of our churches in Canada, the U.S., and of course by Zoom, missionaries could join in from overseas, and that is one great boon to have them participate with us. And each morning, uh, Tuesday to Friday, there is preaching at 9, prayer begins around 10, and for the next three hours to 1 p.m., there is intensive prayer for the help of God in the work of our churches. This week, there has been a, a major emphasis upon evangelism, and it is the prayer and the burden of our ministers and elders that in the days to come, especially now post-pandemic, things and opportunities are opening up, and we are earnest that we might be evangelists for the gospel. Now, there is a foremost goal of evangelism, and it's summed up in the well-known words, to know Him and to make Him known. Now, if you know the original author of those words, I'd like you to help me because I couldn't find out who that was, but it certainly is right on the nail, to know Him and to make Him known. And if you read our text in verse 3, this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Now, if you were to ask various people, what is God or who is God, you would get, no doubt, a great array of answers. And this has to be the starting point of an evangelist's work, is to lead people to the true God, to know Him, and be able to enter into real fellowship with Him. Now, nothing makes us so small 
as the study of God. Think of an ant at the bottom of Mount Everest. Think of an astronaut going beyond the earth's atmosphere into space. And as earth recedes, looking down, he might see Toronto, London, New York, and then little Barry, just little specks on the globe, receding all the while as that astronaut goes out into space. I have a few figures here from NASA on the distances to the sun, to Mars, and then I thought, I can't do this. We've got Dr. McClelland here. He is the living encyclopedia of distances from one point to another. But just think about the distance of one light year. It is six trillion miles. That's six with 12 zeros behind it. And here we are in this little confined space. What are we in the sight of Almighty God, who is the creator of the universe that is all around us? So, what is God? You're going to need to answer this if you will be a witness. There will be others who will ask you, who is your God anyway? You don't like this religion and that religion, and you don't like paganism. So, who is your God? Let's look tonight at a few definitions of our God, the God whom we worship this evening. Firstly, God is an idea. He is an idea that is in the hearts and minds of all men, and therefore He exists. Even the atheist fights a hard battle against the thought there just might be a God. And they cannot get away from the basic innate idea that God exists. Hervin Bavink said, all men are really seeking after God, but they're seeking Him in all the wrong places. We read this morning the Apostle Paul's lament, of those who were holding down the truth, suppressing the truth. That's what ungodly people do. Did you ever notice how touchy and sensitive people are if you question them about their moral values? And people, as Romans 1 pointed out, turn the worship of the Creator into the worship of the creature, images, idols, animals, or as the Egyptians with figures with men's bodies and animals' heads. These are the notions that many have because that idea of God is there. 
Pascal stated, in this consists the greatness and the miserableness of man. He longs for truth, but he's false by nature. He yearns for rest and throws himself from one diversion upon another. He pants for a permanent and eternal bliss and seizes on the pleasures of a moment. He seeks for God and loses himself in the creature. He is a born a son of the house, and he feeds on the husks of the swine in a strange land. I thought that was well put. Jeremiah the prophet said, He forsakes the fountain of living waters and hews out broken cisterns that can hold no water. If that's not you tonight, you don't have to go verify to find someone whose life is so empty. This plays out in society with great loneliness, dissatisfaction, grumpiness, depression, despair, all the way down to suicidal thoughts where there is hopelessness. And this leads to the reality that man needs God, because the idea of God is haunting him at all times and at all seasons of life. Think of the teenager trying to discover his place in life with that sensitivity to his own identity of wanting to be appreciated and valued. The question is, who am I and what am I worth? And what a sad thing when young people end up taking their lives because they feel nothing but emptiness. Then later in life, people go through a midlife crisis. Their goals were mighty. Their ideas of the future were rosy. And when they hit middle age, they're dashed. I'll never be that I thought I might. And they go through a period of darkness and despair. And then in old age, when the body is spent and the mind is declining, man's emptiness can be even more poignant. Think tonight of the man under the influence of alcohol. He will swear, curse, and talk with a religious bent. Don't think that everybody in pubs are irreligious. When they get under the influence of liquor, Sometimes they'll talk more about God and they'll start to preach about God than you imagine. Think of the man under the control of drugs who often comes under the spell of satanic attacks. That's what's happening in our nation. The drug epidemic is devil-driven. And I don't need to give you any fact or figures about the death rate 
of those who go through misery, emptiness. They would say they're living their hell on earth, and they're quite happy to end it all with an overdose. The reality is we all need God, and we need to know Him. Paul the Apostle stood on Mars Hill, and he saw an altar to the unknown God. There was the culture of Greece, with all its human wisdom and all its learning, knew there was some God, but could not define Him. And so the evangelist's work is to lead men to know the true God. And you read Acts 17, and you will read Paul's sermon, how he preached to the Athenians of the God of creation, and he was able to point them to the true and the living God. And so this is the foremost part of the evangelist's work, to know Him and to make Him known. Could you write out in 50 words who your God is? Could you take your Bible and talk to a friend and say, this is my God? He's the God of the Bible. He's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the living God. And you can converse and witness on the authority of the Bible. The second one is that God is a fact. What is God? The Bible's definition is simply this. In the beginning, God. The Bible does not argue the point. It simply states it. The Bible does not reason the point. It stands on the truth that God is. He is the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And this is a fact because everything comes from something. Nothing comes from nothing, for nothing ever could. It is the law of first causes. And we are all creatures of God's forming power. And of our first recognition of God as a fact is that He has created us. And again, we're back to Paul's sermon on Mars Hill to the Athenians. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, and so on. And he defined God as the great Creator. Now, there are many things to learn about God. If we were in a theology class or a Sunday school lesson, we could characterize and define 
our God as a fact. He is the Creator, therefore He transcends all. And I like to explain it this way, that between God the Creator and all of His creation, there is a line, a line that God never crosses. He never makes Himself a creature. Well, we can talk about the incarnation and how God took a human nature into His form, but He never lost anything of His godhood, anything of His deity, and man never becomes God. We never cross that line. We are creatures made by the Creator. He transcends all of His creation. God made the mountains. He's not in them. God made the forests. He is not in the forests. God made the seas, but He is not in the seas in that he is, His nature is part of those material things. Another thing we know about our God is that He is unchangeable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, over the pages of Genesis, where we have the creation account, we write who, not how, and this is our God. And so, we have learned two things now of who God is. He is an idea that's in all men. He is a fact, the Creator of all men. The third thing I want to set before you, if you would be an evangelist to witness the gospel and tell people who God is, the third thing is God is a trinity. Now, it's not awfully always the starting point of evangelism, but it is a necessary part in our evangelism. In Genesis 1, there's an interesting little statement where God said, let us make man in our image. And you have the plural pronoun. Who is God talking to? He was not talking to Adam because He hadn't made him yet. He was not talking to Eve because she had not yet come out of Adam's side. But God said in the community of heaven, let us make man. And there we have, yes, what we would call the first hint that God is plural. And then in that record also you have a reference, God, it's Elohim. And for Hebrew scholars, the I am ending is always plural. Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. And where you see the I am ending, that's plural. In the beginning, Elohim, God in plurality. And we know that God the Father was there creating. We also know in Genesis 1, verse 2, 
that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. So there was the Holy Spirit creating. In John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all things were made by Him. The Lord Jesus is also the Creator. And so we have the Trinity represented very clearly in the very opening pages of the Bible. And then, of course, they have many corroborative passages, the baptismal formula, the benediction formula. Our God is triune. The Son prays to the Father. The Father sends the Son. And the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. They work in unison, in perfect harmony. This is our God. He is a trinity. Now, in real terms, when I talk to someone, the message of the gospel, I will sit down with them and say, did you know that God the Father, who lived from all eternity before the creation of the world, sent His own Son into the world to be our Savior? So there is now two persons, and we're just simply telling the, the simple, basic message of the gospel. God, this is John 3, 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So our God is a trinity. We also know that God sends the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to give men new hearts. And we are born of the Spirit, and our Lord Jesus expounded the new birth. Ye must be born again. And he spoke of the wind. We cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so we have God at work. God the Father, He planned redemption. God the Son, He paid for redemption. And God the Holy Spirit, He works redemption in the sinner's heart. And so we would pray even before we go to evangelize, Father, you sent your Son to die on the cross for sinners. Now send your Spirit to open hearts, to renew hearts, and to bring power to the message of the gospel. Our praying should be Trinitarian. Our witnessing should be Trinitarian. And certainly our preaching should be Trinitarian. Now, the question has been asked, what was God doing before the creation? Before He created the world and before there was an Adam or an Eve or any of His offspring? God was a family in perfect communion. God the Father... God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, a perfect family. And that's why Christianity is a family religion. One of the greatest words in our faith is family. And it begins with God Himself in the Trinity. <coughs> 
when you are witnessing, it is right that you use the terms of the Trinity. Now, I said earlier you wouldn't make that your starting point and sit down with someone and say, I want to explain to you the Trinity. But as you talk about the gospel, the cross, the God of mercy, the God of grace, refer to Him as Father. Refer to Calvary as the work of the Son. And refer to conversion as the work of God the Holy Spirit. And you would say to someone, you need to be born again. You need the Holy Spirit to bring new life into your dead soul. And the Holy Spirit will reveal the Lord Jesus to you and will give you power to commune with God. That's evangelism. It begins with God as an idea, God as a fact, God as a trinity. And then fourthly, God is a spirit. That's why I wanted to sing tonight the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, In Light Inaccessible, Hid from Our Eyes. We sing these words because our God has no material body. In John 4, verse 24, it specifically, clearly states, God is a spirit. John 4, verse 24. And here is another key text. Let's think of the key text that we have developed already tonight. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, to know Him and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. That's a key text for evangelism. Then we have Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image. And those statements that refer to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Here's another key text, John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in truth. And because God is a spirit, He's immortal. Because God is a spirit, He is invisible. And we are told there that He dwells in light. When Moses met with God on the mountain, you remember that event when Moses' face shone. He met God face to face. But that does not mean that God has a human body. Because we're told in Deuteronomy 4.12, And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. And again, Deuteronomy 4.15, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner 
of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. And this is our God. He has no physical being. He is not a figure, a material figure. He is a pure spirit. And this is where the world goes wrong. Because man who has this idea of God tries to make an image of a likeness unto God. And the Bible forbids all idolatry, all worship by physical objects or helps. We are to consider God as a spirit alone. Martin Luther's on record as saying, your thoughts of God are too human. I don't know if Torontonians say this or not, but I've heard people talk about God as the man upstairs. And I'm sure you've had many encounters with people who talk about God in funny ways. But this idolatry is built into the fallen nature of man. Calvin called it, man's heart is a factory of idolatry. And that's where the world is so lost and so blinded. And they need to know the true and living God. Now, if it wasn't near the end of my preaching time, and it wasn't a hot Sunday evening, and if the air conditioning was working, I might give to you the eight points Stephen Charnock gives on why God must be a spirit. If you really want them, I'll email them to you. The truth that God is a spirit cuts through all idolatry. And you take all the religions, even under the peel of Christianity, where they have masses, statues, images, jewelry, golden objects, tables with the symbol of the cross. Any physical object that is supposed to bear witness to the nature of God is always a distraction, not a help. And so we worship God in spirit and in truth. This Bible is the Word that shines light into our souls. You want to know God, you must know the book. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. These things are written that ye might know that ye have eternal life. This is the way to worship God. We are a book-loving people because it's God's book wherein He reveals Himself to us. 
There's one other thing I'd have liked to preach tonight about God, and that is He is holy. I touched on that this morning. I'd like to close with this. Our God is a God of grace. The first gospel promise you'll find in the Bible is Genesis 3.15, where God promised that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Just imagine, still in the Garden of Eden, right in the event where Adam sinned and Eve fell with Adam, they are now corrupt. They're blinded in sin. They are doomed. But immediately, God gives a promise, a gospel promise of a Savior, because God is a God of grace. Noah, we are told, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We wonder why, Noah, but it's surely simply because of grace. He found grace. He didn't find desert. He didn't find rewards. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. With Abram, God made a covenant of grace, and that led to Christ, and it leads us to Calvary, the greatest evidence and proof of God's grace pouring undeserving mercy upon sinners is that He sent His Son all the way to the cross. And there God punished His Son that He might never punish you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus. We are saved by pure grace, and this is the heart of God who beats in true, genuine, fatherly love for the souls of men and women whom He has created. And He leads us to faith in His Son and to the cross. God wants to be known as a God of grace. And I hope as God gives you opportunity to witness and evangelize, when you sit down with someone and share the gospel, you might talk to them about their walk, their behavior, their wrongdoing, their sin. You might talk to them about their need of the Lord in their lives. But please don't forget to tell them that God is a God of grace, that He is merciful and gracious even unto sinners. Now, God wants the world to know this, and He wants this to be preached. Now, how do I know this? Well, in the book of Ephesians. Do we have time for this? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 7, we're wrapping up here. Ephesians 3 and verse 7. God wants us to preach His grace to sinners. Paul said, Whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power unto me, who am less than the least of all saints of this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is evangelism. This has to be the thorough, this has to be the warp and woof of our message. Every effort that we make to reach a soul with the gospel, to tell a sinner of the God of heaven and of how they can be saved, it must be a message of grace, mercy. No matter who you are, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how near to hell you might be, no matter how close to midnight it is in your life, God is gracious to hear the prayer of sinners. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. No, God does not give us what we deserve. He does something far greater. I read this little illustration just this week. A poet called Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth $6,000. That's genius. Rockefeller could sign his name to a piece of paper and make it worth a million dollars. That's capital. A nation's bank can take gold, stamp it, and make it worth $20 or pounds. That's money. A mechanic can take material that is worth $5 and make it worth $50. That's skill. An artist can take a five-cent piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it worth a thousand dollars. That's art. God can take a worthless, sinful life, wash it in the blood of Christ, put His Spirit in it, and make it a blessing to humanity, and for God's glory, that's grace. That's what God delights to do. If you're here tonight, you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you're not ready for heaven in any which way or however you cut it, you're lost. You can enjoy the fullness of God's mercy because He is a God of grace. That's why we love to preach the gospel. That's why we love to get out and tell neighbors and tell the world that they need to be saved. And however you do it, whether you talk to them one-to-one, whether you write a leaflet or give them a sermon or bring them to a church that preaches the gospel, you want them to know that the God of heaven is a God of grace. That surely is the foremost work of evangelism. And of course, we need to remember it has to be done by prayer. If it's all of God and all of grace, God must be in it and work it by His power. And He does. He's doing it tonight around the world. We pray that here in Canada, too, God will glorify His name, revealing His love for sinners, granting His grace to the lost, and making sinful men 
to live for His glory. We have a closing couple of verses of the hymn 698, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. 698. And we'll sing the first two verses. Far, far away, in heathen darkness dwelling, millions of souls forever may be lost. Who, who will go? 698. Father, we praise Thee this evening for this revelation of the living God in Your Word and through Your Son. O God, help us to know Thee and to make Thee known in this lost world. Bless Your people. Give them great joy in living out the gospel. Give them great power in winning souls. And grant, Lord, that this church and every one of our churches, every gospel-preaching church, will be an instrument of God to lead sinners to know Thee, whom to know is life eternal. Dismiss us now with Your blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with your redeemed now and evermore. Amen.